Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We are also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. This episode brought to you by Hotel X, the official hotel of Matchpoint Canada. And Mike, this is a super exciting one. Uh, I think one of the most exciting, honestly, of the year. Speaking again with former Wimbledon finalist, former world number three, Milos Raonic, who took a lot of time out of his day to chat with us. And and we've been looking forward to this interview for a long time and waiting for him to come back. And he wanted to wait until he came back as well to talk at length, which he does in this interview about why he was off for so long what the process was like to come back and and what his hopes are for the future. And, and while he has talked with a few other, you know, media people since that return, I feel like this is a big one and we really get way beyond just scratching the surface. And so well worth the wait and just fantastic to see this, um, you know, this key player in Canadian tennis history being able to come back to the game after nearly two years away. Yeah, it's it's really special, uh, I think, for Milos to to be back on his own terms in some sense. Um, the fact that he returned to Wimbledon, a, a place which is, of course, near and dear to his heart, and the fact that we will get to see him at the National Bank Open presented by Rogers in Toronto just around the corner. We'll get to all of that. Let's get to now our interview with Canadian tennis player Milos Raonic. On this week's episode of Matchpoint Canada, we're thrilled to welcome one of the best Canadian tennis players of all time. He's an eight-time titleist on the ATP circuit, former world number three of four-time Masters 1000 finalist. He's also the first Canadian man to reach the Australian Open semis, French Open quarters, and Wimbledon final in the Open era. Pleased to welcome Milos Raonic back on the podcast. Milos, so great to see you. It's good to be back. Like we were just saying before, uh, a little overdue, but uh, better late than ever. You were just saying how much you missed the media over the past two years, so we're <laughs> we're well, so happy media. to have you. Here. Honestly, I uh, it wasn't the media questions of it; it was just general questions because right. obviously, so much of it was, you know, a lot of things would be changing day to day with injuries. Things are going well for a little bit, then they're not, and all this kind of stuff. So, just general questions of like, hey what's going on this kind that was like more uh more of it than anything and obviously that gets amplified when it comes to a question of media i'll bet you i mean like ben and i have received so many questions the past couple of years from people just even in passing hey what's going on with milos as if we have that insider knowledge and look i respect the fact that we've touched base a few times over that time and, and you request a little bit of privacy not knowing exactly when you'd be able to come back but we're thrilled to have you on today because now we can finally put you on the hot seat and get the answer to those questions and share them with our listeners who've been very excited to see you back on tour. So, you know, for starters, can you give us the abbreviated version of what two years away from competitive tennis has looked like for you? Yeah, um, it's really um, a life that I was not very familiar with, right? I've, I've been away from tennis for short periods of time and this kind of thing due to injuries. But even when you're in those moments, when you're away from tennis, you have such an immediate urgency to get back that you never really get away from it. You just get away from playing competitive tennis matches, but you're still always able to practice. You're still able to do something day in and day out where you feel like you're making progress, where you feel like you're improving, where you feel like you're getting closer to your goals and the things you'd wish and hope to achieve. Um, whereas this, you know, especially the first, 
probably 14 months of that was quite different in the sense of um, struggling with an Achilles issue. And um, it wasn't even a question of what I could do. It's um, I was having trouble just even like bouncing in the middle of a tennis court to be able to like get into a split step. Like once it was hurting at that, then I was like, okay, I need to take more steps kind of back with my expectations and with how long it's going to take to heal and so forth. And that was about 14 months of not really hitting a tennis ball minus like a few times where you just step out until you kind of, you know, you're like, Oh, this feels fine. I feel good. You wake up the next day, you're hurting there and you're like, okay, I'm not at that point yet. So I think once I had the sense of it was going to be a longer period of time, there isn't a question of like ranking anymore. There isn't a question of gaps in like, will I defend this or not? Once that was away, I was able to kind of remove myself completely from it kind of, and just focus on other things till the right time happened. Cause it wasn't a, should I make it for this tournament? It was a, let's consider this option when I'm ready, which is kind of a whole different uh, question you start asking yourself or a whole different mindset cons- compared to like how it normally is because most injuries, you know, I had hip surgery, which is not a small thing in 2011 i got back from that in eight weeks um like it's quite different this time around obviously i'm not back then i was 20 years old um that's not the case anymore even though daily i probably wish i was um but that was kind of the first step then the second step is you start getting back into it or you start wanting to even the idea of getting back into it and you just kind of I don't know what the magical number is, and I've had many conversations about this, but there's, if I was to take two months off tennis, I could probably get myself back to where I want to be in terms of like feeling the ball and feeling good about things pretty quickly. But there's some point that I kind of passed and you feel like it's not like you lose it gradually. It's kind of feels like you just fall off a cliff at one point. I don't know if that was for me at two months, three months, four, eight, whatever point that was at. So the way back was kind of much longer. And that's why it took me so long. And a lot of it was, I healed up my Achilles thing as best as I could managing it. You know, it, you know, doesn't feel perfect all the time by any means. And um, especially being on a court and jumping around and stuff and day in day out. But um I knew that I could kind of push myself a bit more to see, but then other things came up. Um, You know, your knees start to feel it, your hips start to feel it. It's two years of not doing a constant thing you've trained and doing, and that you need to do not only many times over, but at a much higher speed with much more force. And then other parts start, and then you have more smaller setbacks. And since urgency is not on your side, you kind of try to deal with them more diligently and more, let's say, with more patience, just to make sure that those things aren't coming back up again. And then that got me to the point where um, if I wanted to come back on court, it wasn't really appropriate for um, the Australian Open at the beginning of this year. Um, Just before, towards the end of last year, I got hurt again. And then I got uh, COVID actually for the first time, which quite late in that whole cycle and then uh, the question became on um, would I want to come back for two two two-week events in March that you know 
not knowing what my level is, you could be on the road for a month and maybe only play two matches. Indian and Wells I knew Clay was in Indian Wells in Miami, exactly. And then um, knowing I probably wouldn't want to play on clay after that, considering that I've had issues with my knee and hip on that before. I didn't want to irritate and also how close it would back up to. So I said, okay, once I miss that first part of the year, the most logical thing to have some continuity, to have kind of the best, as best as a situation could be to be able to play continuously and so forth. It really was at the start of grass. I'll ask you another real quick one here before Ben hops in, and that's just what was the easiest and hardest part of your tennis game to get back when you did step onto the court and start to try and find that rhythm again? Like, like is that serve always there for you? Can you get out of bed in the morning after months and just start dropping bombs on the court, or or is that a tougher one for you to to reestablish your your big weapon there? The tennis kind of came relatively easy. I thought it was going to be hard for me. It was harder more to find like the movement and kind of the rhythm of things. But if I was standing in one corner, hitting cross court forehands, cross court backhands, those kind of things I felt really good about. Um, the serving for me actually was quite easy when it came a day to day thing, but I, I just had to kind of build up being able to serve for longer periods of amount because a lot of you, once you step away, you really, have an appreciation for how few things you do with your arms overhead and getting like your shoulder kind of like flowing properly and like swinging overhead that kind of took like we have to do a lot of prehab exercises to kind of really get going on that side to make sure that all those mechanical things are okay that I know I could go certain because I really struck it's kind of a crazy thing to say but I really struggle if somebody was telling me surf slowly I don't doubt it. It's such a biomechanical movement, right? With the knee, with the power coming from the legs all the way up. I lose that rhythm completely. So for me, like when I warm up serves, when things are going well, like I will probably the first serve you hit is around a hundred miles an hour because then every, it just, the synergy of everything is just kind of flowing and that power kind of comes. But if you were to tell me like, Hey, try serving 70 miles an hour. I would really struggle, definitely not be able to place it anywhere, but I, I think I would even struggle like consistently putting it in the box because I'm used to kind of everything working together and that kind of produces a certain speed, but you don't necessarily want to put that right away on your shoulder. So you have to kind of take two steps back to go to, uh, to make two, three, four steps forward. But, you know, I was able, the nice thing was like, that was also very motivating. I was able to hit my spots pretty quickly. Like, it made it settled that aspect of it like okay this is going to be a thing about me figuring out the movement and the physical side of things rather than having to like really struggle and also figure out the tennis side of things on top of it you uh you really went in in detail on you know certain injuries with the achilles and setbacks and i wonder during this process and time away did did you ever consult with any other players who maybe stepped away from the game for a long period of time and went back did you have any of those conversations with other atp players or even women's players about uh, that process when you were sort of working your way back towards the tour yes uh, like it was be more in happenstance if in passing like um, um thomas johansson kind of came back uh saw ran into him and he was kind of talking to to me and he actually mentioned more in depth to my coach how I believe when Magnus Norman came back from his hip surgery um, how he tried to come back right away playing the bigger events and then he ended up having to take a step back 
and go to like the challenger tours to kind of build things up and so forth. Um, and then the, in another way, another good thing that you could learn from is there's been a, quite a few players that have been making some kind of comebacks as of recently with Dominic kind of being one big one post his US Open victory with the wrist thing. Wawrinka um, also making his way back. Andy Murray, he's been making his way back for a longer period of time. So you can see how other players did things. And you kind of tried to learn from it. But the one thing that kind of kept me very positive and somewhat eager about things was that I wasn't like foreign to like many weak returns, right? Two years is a whole different thing. And I don't believe that anybody was kind of away for two years like I was um, of the guys I mentioned. But I had done many times like six weeks away, eight weeks away, 12, like these kind of things that... I was just, I knew what I had to focus on. I was just hoping it would work out. You know, I knew that I can't go to first tournament and not serve well. Like that's, if I'd been playing for six months in a row and I'm not serving well, that's already trouble. So if I'm not away from tennis for so long and I come back not serving well, um, that would have, you know, it would have been probably also very demotivating because then the whole thing like puts you so many steps back because beauty of things for me or at least the thing that I've always been able I know what my weapons are it's very clear it's very clear what I need to do a lot of my results will depend on if I can execute my things well I'm not the kind of player that's um, waiting to see too much what the other player gives to me and then kind of being reactive it's about me creating and taking my game to the other guy and either I can do that or not and I'm pretty harsh and honest with myself like I could see, am I, is this within grasp or not? And then, you know, some days things seem great. Some days things seem awful and you're like, oh my, what am I going through? Like, why is this like, this is not like, there were certain days where it's like, oh, I'm not like a level away. I feel like I'm like 10 levels away. Mm-hmm. And, but the thing is, it just, it's just like tennis throughout a career, throughout a year, there's many ups and downs. You kind of deal with it. It just, when you don't have that recent memory or that those recent beliefs, it feels a little bit further away and you just got to kind of calm yourself and reset them, uh, give yourself a chance and try to stay as positive as you can, which can be sometimes one of the harder things for me to do. I think for a lot of Canadian fans, we were struck by the the memories of that you produced uh, in years past at Wimbledon when we had the chance to see you again at the All England Club this year for the first time in four years. Just what what did it mean for you to walk back on the grounds, have the opportunity to play there again? And I, I feel like the last time we spoke with you, you've uh, described it as your your favorite tournament on the calendar. Yeah, it's that kind of makes all those difficult moments, all those like moments of doubt, all worth it. Um, I don't. I, I guess in some ways, like one thing I wish I was better at was enjoying my time when I'm at places, but I get very much caught up in what do I need to do now? And what's like the best decision I can make to be as ready as possible. And you kind of get in this whole cycle and you never like stop for a moment to really enjoy something. And, and I think one thing that probably in disguise was um, a good thing where it kind of kept emotions at bay and let me really focus on the tennis was Wimbledon looks very different than it did four years ago. You don't enter in the same place. Like some of the stuff is the same. The locker room is the same, but the locker room, I only, I think the first 
the, the first year they did that new locker room was in 2019. So I really only experienced it for one year before the locker room that I knew was quite different, but um, a lot of things were different. So I think that was actually kind of a cool thing for me because rather than it being so nostalgic and so emotion inducing, it kind of felt like a reset, like, okay, I know what this means and I know how important it is to me, but you're kind of looking around at, oh, this is new, this is new, rather than like, oh, remember when this happened here, remember when this happened here. And it kind of let me just really focus on the tennis aspect of things rather than like the question of like, oh, I remember I did so well here last time I played. I hope I can do that again. And it just really kept things in a very short-term perspective and in the moment. For us watching you, it seemed just so natural to see you back at Wimbledon as you know we watched on TV and tennis fans watched on TV as well. Before Wimbledon, you played a tune-up event at, uh, let's see, Ben, if I pronounce this right, Hertogenbosch. Uh, and yeah, pretty good. Thank but you. But there's a little S in front of there that yeah, I, I can't spell it. Don't ask me to... if you have if you have to pronounce that or not. I can pronounce it now. I still can't spell it. But, but at any rate, what was your mindset like when you were about to step out there for that first match at Hertogenbosch against Miramir Kikmanovic? You haven't played in nearly two years. What's going through your mind before you step on court? And how the heck did you feel after getting that that win in straight sets? Yeah, it was a lot of things. Um... I remember like the last thing I wanted to do was kind of go out there flat. I knew I was going to be nervous. I, that was, I could even feel it like waiting uh, kind of in the locker room or the players area to go on court, but I didn't want to like go out there flat. Cause I knew that was kind of a recipe where it can, you know, if you come out with too much energy, you can always kind of dial it back. But if you don't come out with enough, um, it's really hard to like get going, especially if you're nervous, right? It's uh, it's hard to, it can become very daunting to get things, especially for my person. It might be different for other people that way. But I was inc- incredibly nervous before. I, came. I think I had six double faults in the first two games. Um, and once I was able to kind of, the thing I, I just really, it's kind of crazy to say, but I just didn't want to suck. Right. You not, kind not of crazy. Go it makes through, total sense. You kind of go like, actually, which probably helped is I practiced with him a couple of days before he was my first practice at Hertogenbosch. Um, so um, I practiced with him a couple of days before, maybe that gave me a sense of like, okay, I belong. Like I still have it within me, but you still didn't like, I've been, a. have always actually played my best tournaments when I've lost every single set in practice. Um, so you're kind of wondering like, okay, I'm doing well in these sets. I'm like, and then you're kind of like, wait, if I look back at things, I've kind of always haven't played necessarily my best when I've done well in these sets. So you're kind of like fighting so many things, but the craziest thing to me that coming up, I forgot how to do everything. I forgot how many bottles I take out on court. I, I remember even for stringing, I was like, how many rackets would I take out for a two out of three set match? Um, these kind of like things that were so innate and just natural you really forget those things um what do i need to have on the court with me what do i remember that being like how do i get ready how much earlier before a match do i like to warm up like all these kind of things everything was so new and you're just kind of like guessing and you're kind of like this worked for me before right is that kind of how it used to be and i'm a person that's always been like very routine like i try to repeat the same thing as much as possible um whether it be just out of, I guess it's superstition ultimately, but it's just 
if I do the small things right, I have the best chance to kind of do the big thing right was the way I always saw it. And going back and forth with that stuff was kind of exhausting and tiring because everything is a doubt. I'm like, is this what I used to do? Did I pack enough matches, uh, shirts for this match? Uh, when it's around this temperature, how much do I need? Do I still sweat a lot? Like, <laughs> I've been playing in one place. I spent most of the time while I was hurt in the Bahamas. So I'm practicing in one place. I know one type of weather. Um, this is all, like, we're talking about then a whole different surface, whole different balls, like, all that kind of stuff is so foreign. But the best feeling, I have to say, was it was joy to be on the court but it was kind of a relief uh, as well after winning that match because you just don't know how things are going to look when you step in you're like okay I still have some of this kind of in me and I still can kind of find a way to get it out and it was a relief because you wanted to believe that so many times but you know when it's time to really do it you don't know if you're going to and that was kind of the biggest emotion I was able to. I was able to just kind of relax a little bit. I was a bit kind of hyped up as well. But um, I was able to kind of just like let my guard down about the other things. And then it was a big difference how nervous I was before the first compared to the second. Like I was nervous for the second match because you're like, okay, now can I back it up? Um, but it's a whole different thing of can I back it up compared to can I even do this at all? I think that's funny about your routine and, and that being the toughest part to remember. It's stressing me out. Thinking I, of... I remember. So I've had the same stringers for Grand Slams for, I, don't, I believe we started in 2013. They had to tell me how many rackets I normally took <laughs> when it came to like uh, playing three out of five sets. How They're many like, is that? Oh, this is what you use. Uh, 11 rackets. Yeah. Wow. Because nine rackets, I think nine or eight rackets gets you to like, if every set goes to tie break and eight all. But then, mind you, I forgot that I thought I still thought for some reason that the Wimbledon fi like final set was at twelve all a tiebreak, right. because that's how I remember that Roger and Rafa match. Um, but then I saw many. Okay, luckily it wasn't me that was going to those points. But I saw in many matches the tiebreaker was at six all. Um, but I was kind of so I was like nine rackets because that gets me past that eight all if you're changing every seven and nine uh, uh, ball change. I can't, I can't remember how many, I only have two rackets. I, I'm stressing out for Rafa now when he comes back next year. If you struggle with your routine, how's he going to get back to his routine with all of his little <laughs> But I feel quirks? like he doesn't forget his routine ever. Probably does it at home in the I morning. I feel like he'll, he's not playing. he'll go tomorrow if he's practicing, if he's on court, and he'll still put his water bottles a specific way. Oh, yeah. You know, I really got away from it. <laughs> like, I really, <laughs> like, if my bottles were upright during my practices, that was a good start. <laughs> ben, you go. I had two questions in one there, I feel like. Yeah, no, I, I have to ask. I mean, we heard a little bit about uh, your trans. I think a your physical transformation, just returning to the tour, uh, losing weight. And it looks like you were in, in such great shape when you got back on court and were playing again. What was that process like? And what were some of the biggest changes maybe you had to make, whether dietary or in terms of workout to, to feel like you were at your physical peak again? Yeah, um, I think for me, the biggest thing was, it was about, like I said, I couldn't do the basic things when it came to like putting much pressure on my feet, like just even bouncing. So I couldn't do any kind of running. Yeah, I could do biking, but I've always had issues post hip surgery. Like, what is that now? 12 years ago, 
biking's not really an ideal thing for me. I'm a tall guy, kind of hunch over, other things start to hurt. So all of a sudden for a year and a half, cardio was kind of non-existent for me just because there were so limited ways I could do. I could do some swimming, but swimming doesn't really always convert to tennis because you're kind of creating force out of a completely different part of your body than you normally are. Um, so I ended up just doing a lot of strength because I really struggled not doing something physical every day because, um, and then I kind of just got bigger and heavier. And as soon as uh, the conversation was like, okay, what would me coming back look like? It would be, hey, most of your injuries have been lower body. You got to take some stress off your joints. And I, I think at one point I lost something uh, a bit over 40 pounds. And, um, and I did it quickly. I was trying for a long time to do it slowly, to do some changes kind of with diet, that kind of thing. I really was struggling that way. And I didn't want that to be what held me back. So I actually lost most of it in about six weeks. And it's, I would not recommend that. I was just kind of eating a steak a day and kind of just putting myself through that. Like, hey, if I lose muscle at this moment, which for me has never been an issue to kind of put back on. I just said for the health of my joints and to have the best chance possible, I need to get this number down. And that was kind of the way I did it. No recommendation to anybody for it. It's not a fun way to do it. It's not, there's so many kind of, things that are unpleasant about it but I kind of got to the point like where it was kind of a an urgency of how do I do this because I really want to give myself a chance and it was yeah it's kind of the point I got to and then after that we um, when it came to training we kind of I've always, like I've said, stuck to routine. I don't want to give up a lot of the things that I know worked for me before, even though sometimes you might say like, hey, this could have been what was causing the issues for you. But also at the same time, I was pretty successful doing those things as well when I could be on court. So I think it was just about finding a balance. But one thing we did um, um, more and more of is like, we tried to just lessen impact on joints when it was possible. And then the buildup we did over a much like this wasn't a six or four week off season that we were doing. It was like a 12 week thing that we did kind of as the ultimate push before I got close to playing on grass. Um, so even though it wasn't the most fun sometimes, cause I always like to compete when I train and I make games out of things, we really had to go like, Hey, let's start slow. Like for the first week when you're playing, you know, you're doing consecutive days. Now let's not go more than, 45 minutes or an hour. And it should just feel like a long warm up on court, like you would do for a match. You know, that's fun for day one, day two, because it's new, but like day five, day six, where you're like, Hey, I've kind of been only doing warm ups the last few days. It can kind of get a little bit to you because you kind of want to progress. You kind of want to believe that you can make those steps forward, but you just kind of need to have somebody there around to kind of hold you back to be like, Hey, let's not rush this. Like time's on our side. Let's do it right. Well, I, I commend you for for that commitment uh, and your transformation. It's been incredible. I, I have to ask, I mean, we're a couple weeks away from the National Bank Open in Toronto. What are your expectations maybe just getting back there, playing in Canada in front of fans again, and, and maybe in terms of what you can do on court? Yeah. Um, I think the expectations on Court, I think that's kind of the easiest thing to because there are really none 
there's really okay. no like recent reference point. I know I can play tennis well. Well, you know, I wish that I had complete control if the timing on the way I'm playing at that moment will continue. I even this um kind of start on grass was a little up and down. I started well in her talking ball, got hurt right away, had to skip queens, kind of played um Wimbledon holding things together. Um and then you know, now I'm good. I'm able to train, but it's hard to know like when things will kind of click for me or if I will be able to play my best. But I know that I have it within myself, which is a good feeling. It gives me a lot of uh, a lot of calm about it. Um, but the most exciting thing for me is coming back to Toronto. Toronto has been five years since I played. Um, it's been four since I played in Canada at all in Montreal, um, but. Five years since I played in Toronto, that's, you know, it's kind of crazy because it's about 10 minutes away from where I grew up in Thornhill. Um, so, and personally, for me, playing in front of uh, Canadian fans will be great. But for me, one of, like, on a deeper personal note, like, during the time I was hurt, there was a lot of COVID stipulations and people couldn't come to match. Um, my parents haven't come to been able to come to a match of mine since, um, I believe that would kind of mount up to like 2019 at some point because they wow. didn't go at 2020 to uh, Australia. There was only the few events at the beginning of the year before everything was kind of shut down. And then after that, it, nothing was possible till I got hurt. That one will probably be the most meaningful to me because as many people know, like you could always see my mom and my dad around. And those were the people that were kind of around always since the beginning, taking me to tennis and just dropping me off, watching me play. OTA events, you know, all over, all over uh, Ontario through Canada, like when nobody else was there kind of watching. So that will also be a very dear part and meaningful part to me as well. Gonna be kind of emotional over here, here in this, uh, this kind of stuff here, but yeah, totally, hopefully I'm not totally I'm relatable, not, yeah. you know, emotion, emotional uh, um, disconnection is kind of a strength of mine. I hear. Well, you kind of have to, I'm sure in your field of uh, of work as well and uh, you know as we wrap things up here our last couple of minutes I'm going to ask the only tough question I think I kind of have here and and I don't know if you have an answer or not and that's fair obviously but you know is the National Bank Open going to be your last tournament or are you hoping that your body is going to allow you to to keep going with this no I, I playing in Toronto for the National it will not be my last tournament I uh that's the thing for me that gets emotional about it is um after going through everything, you have such a shorter um, perspective because you don't think everything is just going to be fine kind of all the way through. Um, the thing for me that's probably the most emotional part about it is if things can somehow work out and um, be good. It's not like the Toronto event comes up next year, right? It comes up in two years. Right. It's different from a lot of other events that come up annually, um, the National Bank Open comes up, but you go to another city to play. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, that's one of the bigger things why it's a bit, because if you, if you talk to me about like, what's your summer going to look like, I'm going to play in Toronto. I'm going to play Cincinnati. I'm going to play the U S open. Awesome. But if somebody asks you like, what's your next summer going to look like, I can tell you what I'd like it to look like. Yeah. But if somebody tells you like, what's summer probably going to look like for you two years away from now. I won't even bother to have an assumption on what it would. So I think that's the more um, emotional aspect of that, that part and the connection to Toronto for me. 
Well, that's encouraging. I'll, I'll, I'm glad, glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll get in a, a couple fan questions as we wrap up. Um, at Vandisland Puck on Twitter asks, do you plan to stay in the game after retirement, either coaching, commentary, any other avenue, or have you thought that far at all? I would imagine after having this kind of year plus where before I started being able to train and kind of get fully back into it, the most immediate thing for me once the professional playing is kind of behind, I think we'll probably be a little bit removed from tennis. Um, one thing I've kind of learned is, um, I want to take time to learn some new skills. You know, I, I've really focused on that tennis skill for a very long time. And I think if I really miss tennis and, um, I want to come back, that will always be a very exciting thing that I can, but I wouldn't want to end up sticking around tennis because I didn't take the time to learn something else. And then you can, I don't know if you can enjoy tennis as much if you're there because, you have to be rather than because you want to be some great answers. And, uh, you know, we got a bunch of listener questions, but I think Ben, you and I worked them into our questions as well. Cause we were mm-hmm. kind of on the same page as our listeners. Um, Milos, I really hope we get a chance to, to speak with you again, hopefully during the national bank open, because this is just sort of like teasing us with, uh, with having you back. And it's been great to, to speak with you again. And, Look, I just want to say, uh, you know, regardless of what happens down the road, whether you make it to 47 like Daniel Nestor or not, um, you know, Tennis Canada and, and Canadian tennis fans owe you, you, owe you a big thank you for uh, everything you've done for the sport, how far you've taken uh, the sport of tennis in our country. And whenever you do decide to leave tennis professionally, you've left it in a much stronger place than where you found it, that's for sure. So we thank you for your time. We thank you for that. And it's really great to see you back out there. Back out there. Thank you. I appreciate it. And for me, it's really nice you know now that the wild cards have kind of there's going to be six canadians on the men's side in the main draw um myself and you know three well-deserving players that were part of that winning davis cup team uh earning wild cards as well um so that's all exciting and that's a very big change you know from when i first came out and i'm sure daniel nestor as an example would say it's very different it was the first time he came out so all these kind of things. They're little things that kind of happen on the side, but very endearing to see and very special to be a part of. There you have it. Our conversation with Milos Raonic. And I mean, there's a lot to take away, I think, from that 30 plus minutes. One thing that I I loved in terms of news is that uh, the National Bank Open will not be his final tournament. Yeah. And I was kind of wondering because in his chats with our friend Mark Masters from, from TSN at Wimbledon, I was getting the vibe that this was it, that this was like the swan song and uh, he didn't think maybe there was any more for his body to give, but very great to hear that it it wasn't just for Wimbledon and the national bank open that he's going to play Cincinnati. He's going to play the U S open. And I very much got the vibe from that conversation with him that he hopes it will go longer. Of course, not able to predict that and, and, and know for sure, but I think the desire is there and and I don't think you come back and, and go through that grueling process that he did to get in shape and, and lose the weight over the two years that he'd been off and, and come back to just play a couple of tournaments. You're going to want to see what you can do. And he's only 32 years old. He's mm-hmm. still got the serve. I love the part of the interview where he was talking about how the serve still clicks and, and how he knows that he's got to dictate the, the play of his matches and be the one in control. Can't adapt that. That's, that's who he is out there on court. And I'm, I'm very excited to see what comes next. And, 
And that was just such a special interview. I think really one of the most rewarding ones that you and me have done in our five years together hosting this podcast. It uh, it really felt special to me. Yeah, it was uh, it was very special for him to to go into such detail of what the past couple of years have looked like with him off the racket, um, you know, off the court without uh, using his tennis racket and that slow process getting back. And uh, I mean, the weight loss transformation, a stake a day for several weeks to, to lose the weight, something he wouldn't recommend anybody else do. Um, but he, he's, you know, was so committed to, to getting back on court, which is uh, phenomenal to see. And I mean, you touched on it right at the end. He's been such a huge ambassador to this game um, for Canada. And I think one of the most important figures in Canadian tennis history. And some state company should give him a sponsorship or something now. I mean, I don't know if the keg <laughs> yeah. wants to line him up sure. or, or Alberta beef or something, you know, like I, I almost wanted to ask him, like, what was, were you getting Uber Eats on that steak? Were you throwing it on the barbecue yourself every day? Like what kind of cut are we talking about here? But uh, yeah, you know, you know, all jokes aside, um, the part of the interview that really uh, hit for me was near the end when he talked about how playing the national bank open next week, is going to be so special because his parents haven't seen him play since 2019. And Mm -hmm. that's a very, very long time. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be very emotional for him, very emotional for them. And regardless of how long his stay in the tournament goes, uh, just a very positive step forward for him in this process. And, and one that's going to mean a heck of a lot. Yeah. And I, I can't wait for that first ovation when he gets back on court in front of the Toronto crowd. I know he shared with Mark masters during the Wimbledon event, that one of the most special moments of his career was when he had broken into the top 10 in 2013 and received that huge ovation playing in Montreal. So I'm I'm hopeful he gets something similar here in Toronto. You know, another takeaway um, that, that I at least personally took from our conversation was Milos doesn't know the future because right now it is so day to day. He he can't really reveal what's going to happen in two years because he seems to have no idea himself. Yeah, and, and fair enough, it's impossible. I mean, especially when you've been through what he's been through. And he mentioned it at length in the interview that he's had so many little breaks from the game, nothing major like this, but a few weeks here, a few months there, the hip, the knees, the foot, all these things that, uh, you know, after this one especially, so tough to say how things will respond. But you know, regardless, I think his return at this tournament is going to be, for me, really the the big story. Um, along with things like Carlos Alcaraz coming to Toronto for the first time. That's going to be really huge as well. But on the Canadian tennis scene, uh, this is enormous news. And he adds something so big to the existing strong group of players that we have. And those strong players like Felix, like Dennis, they owe it to him in many ways to have given them the belief and the confidence of what they're able to or what they were able to accomplish as professional tennis players. And they've all mentioned that before in chatting with us. So I think really special for them as well to see this guy, this mentor in a sense, come back and boy, just the way he speaks and and how articulate and thoughtful he is with his answers. Uh, I I think if he ever does stay involved in tennis down the road, uh, such a a great opportunity for him to be on this side of things, you know, with us maybe because he's got a gift for it. And, uh, and you could tell that he loves the sport. I mean, he could have given us 10 or 15 minutes of his time and, and went well beyond that. And so we're very appreciative and, and very much looking forward to the next time we have him on and also very much looking forward to what he's able to do as this super important tournament, the most important tournament on the Canadian tennis landscape is about to uh, take center stage here in Toronto. 
Yeah, yeah, very well said. Um, and and it's I think very special for him from last year seeing uh, the guys win the Davis Cup title for Canada, which uh, they've acknowledged in the past. He played such a huge and pivotal role uh, for Canadian tennis, leading to that historic title uh, from last November. And I think he could still play a really important role, you know, with the, the Davis Cup team as well for Canada on the international stage. And, uh, you know, worth noting that the trophy from the Davis Cup is going to be on display at the National Bank Open this year here in Toronto. So for those who will be in attendance, uh, something really neat to come in and check out for the first time ever uh, as as we won the, the tournament here uh, in our nation. Uh, now we'll take a quick break. For a word from our sponsor, we're really thankful to have Hotel X uh, with us for this week's episode. And if you're looking for the perfect urban getaway for your next family vacation, look no further than Hotel X Toronto, the city's premier urban resort. With its state-of-the-art fitness facility, 10XTO, and four indoor tennis courts, there's something for everyone in the family. But that's not all Hotel X has to offer. With luxurious amenities from the rooftop pool to the award-winning Gurlane Spa, from the 250-seat cinema to the three-level sky bar, there's so much to see and do all under one roof. Whether you're visiting Toronto for business or pleasure, Hotel X is the perfect choice for families and individuals alike. Book your stay today at Toronto's only urban resort, Hotel X Toronto. Experience the extraordinary. And if we uh, kind of look ahead to the National Bank Open and the action in Montreal, you know, we're getting treated with a lot of Canadians in this event, which I think is great. And if we start on the men's side, of course, Felix Ojeali, Zim Denis Shapovalov had that have that automatic entry. But Milos Raonic, Vashik Pospisil as well, Alexis Gallarno and Gabriel uh, Gabriel Diallo all getting main draw wild cards. So that is uh, six in total that are uh, taking up the men's side. A lot of opportunity to see Canadians play. And I, I think, you know, as we get into the new North American hardcourt swing, there's going to be opportunities for a couple runs here from the players as well. And a very deserving six players on the men's side to be in there. And if you break them into thirds, you kind of got the two veterans in Milos and Vashik, which mm-hmm. almost feels funny saying that now because I remember it like yesterday that they were just playing doubles together on center court against Nadal and Djokovic. And boy, 10 years, 10 years plus flies by so quickly. You got Felix and Dennis who are still, you know, young players, but established professionals and both in the top 25 or so on the ATP. And then you've got the up and coming uh, Galarno and Diallo. So I, I think it's really cool how you can kind of break them down like that. Um, and not to mention, of course, there'll be uh, other Canadians who are in qualifying trying to get into the tournament as well. We'll know more about that as the week progresses. The qualifying draw in total, I mean, Canadians aside, is going to be stacked. I feel like the opening weekend, Saturday and Sunday here in Toronto, is as strong as we've ever seen this uh, pre-tournament, really. Well, the fact, I mean, we have a three-time Grand Slam champion who's going to be in qualifying. Stan Favrinka is in the qualifying field, which... I think he's must-watch tennis, and he just made this uh, a final uh, just this past week on clay, so he's playing great. Kei Nishikori, you know, Nishikori reminds me a little bit about a little bit to Milos Raonic in a sense in their career paths. Both have been to Slam finals, both similar age, and came up at the same time, and have both dealt with and navigated so many injuries. So it's awesome to see Nishikori playing tennis again. Um, American J.J. Wolf, really exciting young player to always watch. Bodik van der Zonskulp, um, beyond the great name, he plays some great tennis. So it's a really good qualifying draw on the men's field, and just 
major props as well to Alexis Gallardo because I feel like he's playing some of his best tennis. Just won his first ATP Challenger title um, this past week in Granby in Quebec, the Granby National Bank Championship. And with that victory, uh, is inside the top 200 for the first time in his career. Diallo is actually inside the top 150. So these guys are on a really strong trajectory right now. And this is a great opportunity for both of them. Yeah, they're all very deserving. I feel like it's almost as strong as six men as we've ever had in the main draw um, for the National Bank Open. And, uh, you know, once again, for those who aren't familiar, but the qualifying weekend here in Toronto is absolutely free for fans who want to come down to Sobe Stadium and, and check it out. And, I mean, that's as good as you're going to get for uh, for sports anywhere, let alone a city like Toronto. So uh, it's going to kick off strong. And uh, you and I will be at the main draw ceremony, which is going to be Friday, August 4th. 4 p.m. We're going to break it all down and yeah. um, and very much looking forward to that as well. On the women's side in Montreal, um, all Canadians required wild cards to get into uh, both qualifying and the main draw. And so that's a little bit of an um, unusual situation given how strong, you know, our female players have been over the years as well. But right now, Bianca Andrescu, Leila Annie Fernandez's rankings a little bit lower than they would like. Uh, but they've got these wild cards, Rebecca Marino in there as well for main draw wild cards. And I feel like all three of those players, despite the fact they're going to have the WC next to their name, are going to be players who are not um, going to be welcomed by whoever their first round opponent is going to be. Oh, no doubt about it. And I, I'm most excited, I think, probably to watch Bianca Andrescu. I felt like that Wimbledon was a, a turning point for her. Even if she did lose on center court in the third round to Angebur, I feel like she's trending up right now. Leila Annie Fernandez, uh, I mean, her ranking right now is, I think, in no way reflective of how strong she is as a tennis player. Uh, you know, I think she's 86 right now, Rebecca Marino, 88. And, you know, especially Leila, who's been to a U.S. Open final, is so much more dangerous than that and capable of a big run. And she wasn't quite healthy at this point last year. If we remember, she was coming off that foot injury at Roland Garros, and this was one of her first tournaments. So there's going to be a lot of opportunity for her to pick up points through this hardcourt swing. And Rebecca Marino can play great tennis on a fast hardcourt surface. Uh, the Montreal fans will will certainly love her. And if we talk about a couple other names, I mean, Catherine Sebov just played great tennis in Granby as well, uh, reaching the finals, and she will get uh, a qualifying wild card along with Jeannie Bouchard and uh, Carol Zhao, who's also been playing some some very good tennis. Yeah, a little bit less uh, main draw wild cards for the Canadians this year, but it's hard to argue against when you see that Venus Williams is getting a wild card in the main draw. Mm -hmm. Caroline Wojniacki, who's returning, that's a huge story that we're going to be following as well. Again, you've got to give that wild card, but Jeannie Bouchard, Catherine Sabov, and Carol Zhao, uh, hopefully, you know, all three of them can make it through the qualifying weekend. Uh, great for Jeannie Bouchard to be back. And, you know, she's from Montreal, so that's her hometown. The crowd's going to be hugely be behind her there. Sabov, as you mentioned, playing some great tennis lately. And, and Carol Zhao as well, back to playing what we, you know, really thought um, she could do if, if healthy. And, and she recently just qualified for her first main draw of a Grand Slam at uh, Wimbledon. So I think good things in store, hopefully, for all of them. Um, there's going to be plenty of other Canadians uh, playing both in qualies, names like Kayla Cross, Vicky Maboko, um, both of them actually who had main draw wildcards a year ago. This year, those are going to the more established veteran players. But for Kayla and Vicky, I think strong chance of them making it through qualifying. They're both still so young, coached by our friend uh, Rob Steckley or aided by our friend Rob Steckley, who's going to be there with them. Um, so, you know, whether you're in Toronto or Montreal, there's going to be a ton of Canadian content. Uh, I'm really stoked on both sides. I think there's going to be hopefully some good stories 
in both cities for our, our male and female tennis players at this marquee event for us. Yeah, for, for the women's side in Montreal, 41 of the top 44 women's players already confirmed. I will mention, I mean, we are missing one big name on the men's side. Novak Djokovic withdrawing from the National Bank Open, citing fatigue. You surprised by this one? No, because look at the way that he prepared for Wimbledon. There were no lead-up events there. He went straight from the French Open to a month later, taking that break, resting up for Wimbledon, knowing how much it meant to him. And even though he didn't win Wimbledon, he came so close, five sets against Alcaraz. You know he wants to peak for the majors now at the age of 36. You know he just wants to add to his record haul of of 23 slams. Um, and it, it doesn't surprise me because of that. You know, if he was younger, but, but he's not. And so um, I don't think it's a shock. We've survived here quite nicely without the big three before in Toronto. And let's be honest, this is something we're going to have to get used to. Yeah. And, and look for Carlos Alcaraz. This um, presents a great opportunity. Last year in Montreal, he lost early to Tommy Paul. Uh, big opportunity for him to get some points. And Novak Djokovic has essentially nothing to defend whatsoever all summer because he didn't compete at the U.S. Open last year and Alcaraz will be defending finals points. So we, we certainly could see some jostling of the the one and two ranking spots between those two players. And regardless, it's going to be fantastic. I'm so stoked that we're going to be doing once again our, our very regular podcast episodes throughout yep. the tournament here in Toronto, catching all the action. So do check in with us, uh, follow us on Twitter or whatever it's called now and Instagram and, and all the platforms and, and check out the podcast because we're going to have Great guests. We're going to have top level players from both ATP and WTA, Canadian players. And it's, I mean, without a doubt, I can say this for both of us, but our favorite week of tennis of the year. Uh, and it's not even close. 100%. It's it's like our Super Bowl week. Uh, we can't wait. It's right around the corner. National Bank Open. Thank you to our sponsor, Hotel X, uh, the official hotel of Matchpoint Canada. Guys, we will talk to you next time. <laughs>